From PRX and Transom, this is How Sound, the backstory to great audio storytelling. Rob Rosenthal here. I've recently returned from a whirlwind trip cross-country and back, lots of hours in the air. I downloaded so many podcasts prepping for the flight, I could swear my phone weighed more. I do read books on planes, but most of my time is spent listening. It's the best environment, right? An audio cocoon. There's no news, no email, no texts. It's just me, my headphones, and a pile of stories. In fact, I listened to so many podcasts on my trip, I was able to put together another Darts and Laurels episode for today. I did this a few months ago. I handed out darts for choices made by producers that really, from my perspective, they just didn't make the grade. I'm not talking about mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. I mean poor choices. The producer gets a dart because they could have done better. And in that episode, I gave out laurels for what I consider to be outstanding work for writing or mixing and editing and reporting, some aspect of the production process that should be applauded. So today, more darts and laurels. First up, a laurel for a documentary reported in Iceland. It's called Eider Island. Here's how the story starts. They know this place. They remember. They return. This is the most isolated place in Iceland. The West Fjords. Winter in the deep fjord, east of Jarlduk. Winter on the little island of Eidei. The island of the Eider Ducks. The lonely farmhouse on the island is empty, windows and doors firmly closed. The Eider Ducks that gave this island its name are out at sea, diving for clams and sea urchins, riding the winter waves insulated by the lightest coat of feathers. A magical down. Some days the wind takes over everything. You have the northern wind from Greenland coming over. There's nothing to stop it. And the ice coming over. Temperatures drop. And it gets a cold. The lonely farmhouse is locked down in a shell of ice. Sai rockets cold in Icelandic. The sea is just blowing over everywhere. And the ice just loads up, locks them down. The winter is fierce. And the wind is king. But with the spring, something happens. begin to hear a rhythm. The rhythm comes slowly. Every bird has a voice that comes together.
One day they're all here, the birds, the arctic tern, the black guillemot, the puffin, and the eider ducks. Thousands of eider ducks. With the birds, the Eidey family arrives from all over Iceland. I always come at this time here. See what I mean by audio cocoon? As I listened, the roar of the plane engine just vanished thanks to the narrator's delicate voice and the otherworldly, swirling mix of music and birds. It's so visual, isn't it? So evocative. It's like the most satisfying sonic blanket. You're never lonely. You're alone, but you're not alone. You listen. The island can tell you so much. Sometime in late April, early May, the either females begin waddling over the hills, heavy with eggs. I feel this fondness for the eider duck. I heard Eider Island on Seriously, a BBC Four podcast. Reka Hot is the producer, along with Falling Tree Productions. The music was composed by Soli Stefan's daughter. I think it deserves a laurel for ethereally transporting listeners to a place we're likely never to go and documenting rural life at the same time. A laurel, too, for the flawless production and the overall tone. While so many podcasts pound out plot points like Carpenter's Pound Nails, the lack of a plot in this story is refreshing. Eider Island is more tone poem than story. And a production like this is a reminder the possibilities for audio storytelling are endless. So a laurel to Rika Hoot and Eider Island. I don't know exactly why they do it this way. But I also have a dart to hand out here, not to Rika or any of the production team. It's a dart for the BBC. Listen to the end of this episode of Seriously, about the last minute or so of the documentary, followed by the podcast host. They know this place. They remember. They return. This is Seriously. I'm Vanessa Casule, and that was the end of the show. Hit subscribe on the BBC Sounds app and enjoy more documentaries that'll break your heart and blow your mind. Now, it's possible you might not notice at first why that deserves a dart. I actually had to listen to it twice to make sure I didn't miss something, and I didn't. There are no credits. The quote-unquote host doesn't acknowledge the documentary. To find out it was produced by Rika and Falling Tree Productions, you have to look at the podcast notes or online. Dear BBC, why would you make a listener do that? Sincerely, Rob. I mean, really, shouldn't the producers be acknowledged for their work? Then it occurred to me that maybe it was a mistake, a digital glitch. So I went and checked the ends of a couple of other episodes of Seriously. Same thing. 
Here's the end of an episode featuring Bad Apples. It's a documentary by Kara McGugan. It's about bullying and harassment of female police officers. The story ends, and then this. Sadly, that's all for this episode of Seriously. I'm Vanessa Casule, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Hit subscribe on the BBC Sounds app and enjoy more documentaries that'll break your heart and blow your mind. You might ask, what about at the top of the episode? The host must provide some information there, right? Nope. Nothing. Here's the intro to Eider Island. Hi there. You're listening to Seriously from BBC Radio 4, and I'm your host, Vanessa Casule. This podcast brings you true stories for curious minds and wild imaginations. Here's the most interesting thing you'll hear all week. I'm just going to say it. The host is window dressing. That's why I said quote-unquote host. With all due respect to Vanessa, because this isn't about her, it's about someone who made a decision at the BBC, given how little she does, why bother having a host? Now, one answer might be this. Vanessa is an internationally renowned poet, so she brings some name recognition to the table, a way to attract listeners. That's why I think she's there. But the BBC didn't ask her to do very much, did they? In fact, my gut says all of the intros and outros were probably cut in a day and written to be interchangeable. Just paste them into any episode and they'll work. Only they don't. The BBC should give Vanessa something worthwhile to do and, come on, credit the creators. Okay, moving on to another story, but still feeling a little grouchy. Why add sound effects to stories? Why? Many celebrities choose one issue. You have chosen many. Why? I have a hard time saying no. I'm going to need you all to get fired up right now, okay? I love my country enough to know that it's broken. Did you catch that? I love my country enough to know that it's broken. And then the sound is something breaking. That sound is absolutely unnecessary. I love my country enough to know that it's broken. My issues of growing up in the business really didn't surface until I had my first child. Wait, did you catch that? It's like the sound of a broom handle swung hard through the air. Really? Must the producers add little tchotchkes of sound? It turns the production into a cartoon, and it suggests what's being said isn't enough. It needs to be augmented with sound effects. If that's the case, if the quotes in that montage aren't good enough on their own, well, then find other quotes. Here, let me play a little more. Welcome, everyone. I'm Aisha Sasei, and you're listening to The Accidental Activist, the show where we discover the sparks that ignite people's passion to change the world. Joining me this week is Alyssa Milano who first burst onto the scene as a plucky seven-year-old in the hit 1980s U.S. sitcom, Who's the Boss? Before years later, the Accidental Activist is produced by Wonder Media, a company that, as they put it, uses stories to inspire action and promote equality and justice. A good cause. The Accidental Activist podcast recently launched, and the first three episodes feature interviews with Alyssa Milano, Baratunde Thurston, and Amanda Seals. In essence, it seems like the premise is to interview famous comedians and actors about their political activism. Aisha Sasei, the host, she worked at CNN for many years. She wrote a book called Under the Tamarind Tree, a story of courage, family, and the lost schoolgirls of Boko Haram. 
Basically, she has journalistic chops. But instead of just letting her do her job as host and interviewer, whoever makes production decisions at the show decided to do this when she describes public reactions to Alyssa Milano's provocative tweets. You already know that being unapologetic is not an act. That is part and parcel of who she is. And while this quality endears her to many, there's no denying that it also seems to send others into a weird mix of cross-eyed, blood-boiling rage. That sound, that screaming, that's exactly how I felt as a listener. And I press stop right there. Dear podcasters, please don't infantilize your listeners and the work of your hosts. Sincerely, Rob. So a dart to the accidental activist for needless sound effects. Now, look, just so you know, I wasn't sitting in a stew on the plane the entire time flying to California. I heard a lot that I liked. For instance, the new series from Radiotopia Presents caught my ear. It's called A Hit Dog Will Holler. It's a fictional tale about the burden of black trauma. I thought it was very well written. There's also David Weinberg's new series for novel podcasts, The Superhero Complex. It's about real-life superheroes in Seattle. I'm only on episode two, but I'm in. David's penchant for the bizarre is always welcome in my podcast feed. Also on my trip, I finished listening to a show about animals. That's the name of it, a show about animals. It's from Vice. The first season tells the story of Coco the Gorilla and the controversies surrounding sign language research with apes. It was a fascinating deep dive. It was a touch too long, but I'm glad I powered through it. Here's a snippet from the opening. We're supposedly the only species that has language. Like, that is what makes us special. There's actually a lot of debate about that. In some corners of the scientific world, they'll tell you that things like dolphin clicks or bird mating calls or meerkat barks when there's danger, that's considered communication, not language. There's also a lot of debate about what even constitutes language in the first place. But overall, language, a lot of people still consider that just a human thing. But there was an exception of sorts. This is a story about a gorilla. Her name is Coco. A 270-pound gorilla named Coco. Coco the gorilla. Yeah, Coco. Coco is not your ordinary gorilla. Coco was said to have mastered a version of American Sign Language. That's right, Coco. That chip's all right. High five. I'm Ariel Zimros. I'm a correspondent for Vice. I cover science and I have a degree in zoology. And I'm super nerdy. So this podcast is going to go there. But this is still Vice. So there's also going to be sex, drugs, and intrigue. Like, literally. Because that's what actually happened. But let me start with the basics. I will say the reference to sex and drugs in the lead felt gratuitous, even if it was true. But aside from that, I was really impressed with how the show tackled the sticky wicket of human supremacy. That's how human beings perceive ourselves as above animal beings in the natural environment. They didn't actually call it that in the show, but in essence, it was a theme that they looked at, and they did so without getting preachy. So a laurel for that. One piece of writing for character development stood out to me in a show about animals. When you're putting together a script and you want to write a description of what someone looks like, it's hard to know what to include. Describe too much and you might lose the listener. Describe something mundane, like someone's eye color or their hat, and you're not really giving listeners something interesting to see. 
plus you know, a nondescript hat or the color of someone's eyes don't really reveal anything about a person either. There's some middle ground where a reporter writes just enough to provide a compelling visual for listeners and portray someone's character at the same time. In this clip, we'll hear Ariel Duham-Ross, the reporter, introduce listeners to Anne Southcombe and join the research team working with Coco at Stanford University back in the 1970s. At this time, there was a bit of a cohort, a small number of well-known women working with apes, Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and also Penny Patterson. Anne was working with great apes at the time, too, and she reaches out to Penny to discuss her research with Coco. And in 1977, she joined the Coco Project at Stanford. It was so awe-inspiring, you know, seeing Coco in person was, you know, and she wasn't that well-known then. But to me, she was, you know, I'm meeting this girl, the only girl to learn in sign language. So it was pretty impressive. I spent some time with Anne at her home in Oregon. As you can see, I, I like squirrels. That's my. And while this series is full of animal people, Anne is the most animal person that I met. She was dressed in head-to-toe squirrel merch. And you just have squirrels all, all over you. Your hat has yep, two right. squirrels on it. Your T-shirt <laughs> yeah, has well, a squirrel. Well, you know, in the, oh, my older days, it'd be all gorillas, you know, so. <laughs> Anne is 74 years old, and her arms are covered in tattoos that honor the animals yeah, that she's worked with over the years. And so these are, these are my special friends. So, you know, they get to be with me all the time. So I never was a people person. <laughs> I, I mean, I have friends, and I, I love my friends. But I just don't relate as well as I do to animals. They're just... People are so complex. <laughs> I think there shouldn't be too many rules when making audio stories. Tell the truth would be one. Be fair would be another. Wear headphones. And be sure to ask people about their tattoos. Because, like in this case, it can lead to a nice piece of self-reflection. A laurel for that. Okay, last clip for the day. We'll close out this episode of How Sound with another laurel, this time for being weird, in the broadest sense of the word. I must have looked like a grinning fool to the other passengers when I heard this. Welcome back, listenership, to another episode of the Rancho Thatchmo podcast. This I got this idea to do um, a linguistics episode, which I guess is First off, sort of I just like the quality broad, of the dude's voice. He's got a late-night really whiskey and cigarettes vibe. That we're doing all that I play are exquisitely curated words assembled in a specific order to make this um, entertaining um, oral event... Uh, but when I started doing it... In case you didn't catch it, the name of the podcast is Rancho Thatchmo. It's on again, off again. Episodes drop when they drop. The host is Thatcher Keats. He's a photographer, and he describes himself as a recreational sound enthusiast. I kind of like that. The podcast is largely a collection of spoken word recordings, DJed by Thatcher. Poetry, essays, audio fragments from dramatic readings, that sort of thing. This episode is called Linguistics Clanging. While I wasn't drawn in by a lot of what he selected for this episode, I really appreciate the concept. There was one spoken word piece in this episode that really put a smile on my face, though. First, Thatcher's description, then the piece. 
in the middle of the last century uh, there in Hollywood, they had to come up with a whole glossary of fake words. So because of the code, they couldn't curse in movies. Um, so they had to come up with stuff that would rhythmically fit and stuff that would be able to insinuate the emotion and the intention of, for example, cowboy conversation. So instead of saying, God damn it, they would, they invented Dag Nabbit. We've all heard Dag Nabbit if we watched any, you know, mid late 20th century cowboy movies. And all of that stuff was invented to keep a PG rating. Hey, this is Pat Riley, and these are a few of my favorite fake swear words and a few related odds and ends that are all safe for radio and television broadcast. Jeez Louise, son of a gun, shut the front door, H-E double hockey sticks, Judas Priest, get your ship together, Jiminy Christmas, see you next Tuesday, mother trucker, shoot, heck, freaking, fudge, dang, darn, drats, mother of pearl, Friggin', frickin', holy moly, holy Toledo, holy smokes, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and all the saints preserve me, hell's bells, oh sugar, ice hole, dill bag, shazbot, jagweed, dad burn it, mother flipper, Slugging a dick. Aside from my cross-country trip, I've actually been busy over the last few weeks interviewing guests for How Sound. Remember how I thought my phone had gotten heavier from all the files? Yeah, well, same thing for the external hard drive I use for production. I swear it's gotten heavier, too, with all the interview files. In upcoming episodes... Davia Nelson of the Kitchen Sisters talks about working with Lori Anderson on a story. Hilary Frank walked me through the effort it took to produce an audio fiction series for young adults called Here Lies Me. And I also talked to Ben Calhoun at This American Life about race and identity and storytelling. So lots of good episodes coming your way. Genevieve Sponsler, my longtime editor, is on maternity leave. Happy momhood, Genevieve. Ari Daniel has stepped into her shoes. Ari is a science reporter. You've probably heard him on NPR or Radio Lab or Bird Note or any of a dozen other shows. Welcome, Ari, and thanks for marking up this script. And speaking of long time, my thanks to PRX and also to Transom.org in Woods Hole, Massachusetts for their generous support of How Sound. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. and transom.org.